Um, this podcast is going to go up on both my uh, own separate personal All the Things with Luke Tim podcast, and it's also going to be up on uh, the website for church and on that podcast as well, because today I have in store for you just an awesome, awesome podcast. Uh, this was really cool. It's one of my Kenya debrief podcasts. I like to bring team members in and... The idea is to hear a little bit about the trip, but also just kind of get some perspective on how it changed them. And so it's really more about the person who went on the trip than it is the trip itself. And I think that's what's really important uh, on these podcasts. So uh, today you get a gem. I, I know it's a good podcast when I'm talking to somebody and they look up and they go, oh my gosh, it's been almost two hours. Yeah, yeah, that's... That's uh, awesome. You just kind of get lost in conversation and and keep talking. So, very cool. Today is uh, Debbie Henderson. Debbie, this was her first trip, so she went from newbie to veteran at lightning speed. (laughs) It's pretty awesome, and it was uh, a great experience for her. So, I know that she had um, not a lot of reservations about the trip. I think she knew she was supposed to go, but I, I, I get the impression that she didn't quite know what that meant, but um, here's an interesting fact. She felt like she needed to go on the trip after listening to these podcasts of the previous trips. So how cool is that? These actually make a difference. So that makes me feel good inside, uh, all nice, warm, and fuzzy. So uh, yeah, as always, if you want to follow me um, on Instagram or Twitter, it's uh, at Luke underscore Tim or Luke underscore Tim. And you can find me on Facebook, Luke Tim. I would love to hear from you guys to find out if there's topics you want me to cover, uh, things you want me to do. And I've got a few topics coming up that have been uh, emailed and suggested. So that is awesome. I appreciate you guys listening. It really makes all the difference in the world to know that uh, people listen to this podcast. So do me a favor and tell somebody about it. Share it with a friend. Um, Let somebody else know. If you indeed like these podcasts, it would be great to know that it's getting out to more than just my family and friends. So, all right, guys. I do chew gum during the podcast, and you're on now. You're on. <laughs> try, try and like maybe even move that mic a little bit closer if you're going to sit back. That's fine, but okay. we gotta make sure we have all of us on mic. Debbie Henderson, another awesome Wednesday Bible study, right? Yes, very awesome. Uh, so you you have a great perspective because you're kind of new to the podcast or to the podcast to the um, Bible study. Do I oversell it or is it that good? I haven't really heard you say too much about. Oh, my husband's thing. always like, oh, you're always talking it about this It might Wednesday be because Bible. I'm always late coming to church <laughs> that I don't hear how great the podcast is. Maybe I've heard about it from Eric because maybe yeah. you talk about it at council. Yeah. That's why he won't come is because you talk about how great it is. He's worried he won't be able to find a seat. So. It, well, we, we're tight today. We had to get a second chair today or yeah. outside chair today. Right. We're at that point. I don't know what to do. 
I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna do a second one, like a Friday noon. Oh, that would be nice to have uh-huh. a second time for it. Yeah, it's it's getting to that point. Yeah, this is the, kind of the biggest space it that is. we have, and we're maxed out in the summer, in the dead of summer. So, but enough of that. You are you are here because you went on an awesome mission trip. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> was it what you were expecting? You know, I didn't have too many expectations for it. I'd never done any kind of mission trip before, so I had nothing to compare it to. I, I just, I just kind of went. I just knew this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and I don't know why I'm going. I don't know what I'm going to say <laughs> when I get there. Uh-huh. I just knew that I was supposed to go. Yeah, that's we get that a lot when when people. Fill out their application. It often is. I don't really know why I should go or why it's me. I just feel like I should. So when did you start to get that feeling? Like how how long ago was that? It was when I listened to the podcast from last year's team. I mean, it was like it was instant. I I just got sucked into the podcast. A couple of them I listened to twice, and you'd get to the end of the podcast and. You know, be like, well, what would you say to somebody who's maybe thinking about going? And I, I just was kind of already at that point. I'm not even thinking about going. I just know that I'm supposed to go. Right. <laughs> say so, nothing. I'm going. <laughs> right. And and Eric was listening to the podcast at the same time. We try to listen to the same one, like on the same days. So we could talk about it. So when when he came home and I said I'm I'm supposed to go to Kenya, he he was like, I'm not surprised that you're saying that <laughs> that you feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I don't know why he why he wasn't surprised, but. Oftentimes, spouses know that that their spouse is going to go before they do. And oftentimes, it's the case where the one is all in, wants to go. The other one, all supportive and has no calling to go whatsoever. Is that Eric? You know, he. I guess after me coming home this time, he's more open to it. I, I would say I feel like he's way more qualified to go. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'll just I'll start talking about something maybe that we talked about in the this Bible study here on Wednesday or maybe something that I heard from a I listened to a couple of different podcasts, um, Christian related podcasts and he like totally knows the story and I feel like or he'll he'll like kinda know that story from the Bible and have an opinion on it or a take on it or some kind of inter- interpretation and I feel like I've just heard it or read it for the first time, right. so his his book knowledge is much deeper than mine. Oh yeah, which is a big reason why I felt completely inadequate going to Kenya. <laughs> well, you'll notice on those applications, it's all about book knowledge, I and mean, it's all right. of the questions we ask are yeah. how much stuff do you know? <laughs> In fact, I think there's exactly zero questions. There are zero questions about <laughs> what's your and. Man, I mean, it's a good thing that I've already given my notice about not doing children's church. How can you have somebody in charge of children's church that claims to not know their Bible stories very well? I think you do a great job knowing your Bible studies, your Bible stories just fine. But so that's good. It's probably the best way to go into it is without a lot of expectations because when expectations are unmet on a mission trip, it can be rough. I mean, it's people expect accommodations or this or that, whatever it is. Right. It can be tough. That was helpful too. You guys set a really low bar for accommodations. <laughs> That's good. So I was really pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it was much there. nicer this year than mm-hmm. and, and we did that on purpose because I don't I don't want people to be surprised if they are really bad. Because they could be yeah. super bad accommodations. We could have had 
narrower door jams so yeah, that my yeah. pull-up bar would have fit. That was, that was such a shame. Wasn't it? <laughs> it really was. <laughs> if I could complain about one thing from the trip. <laughs> we still haven't had our pull-up contest yet. I suck at pull-ups right now. Do you? Yes. I'm, I haven't trained for them in a while myself, so. My pull-ups are kind of bad. How many can you do? Like now, maybe yeah. four. Oh, I'd beat you by a mile. Yeah. This is great. We have to do a contest Eric right now. has, <laughs> he has exceeded me in pull-ups. I, there was a time when I could do more pull-ups than him, but yeah. not anymore. Yeah, that's one of those, um, you have to keep doing them. So I've been trying to do that lately is, is at least three times a week, do some pull-ups. Yeah. And that's not even really enough if I want to be excellent at pull-ups. But at least we had our push-up contest. We did. Yes. I can't remember who won again. I keep forgetting. Okay, in in absolute numbers, <laughs> but which is how contests work. Typically, there is an adjustment for females. Oh, well, but you're not a typical person, so I reject uh, that. <laughs> yes, I am training to exceed 31 push-ups. That's Crap! A, now I have that's to the number to beat. <laughs> no, I need to be able to do more than 31 push-ups. Right. Oh uh, yeah, that was fun. We. So that's a weird thing. So we, we always say that this trip isn't fun, but there's a lot of fun. There are a lot of fun moments. That? Yeah. I, I mean, the, the times with the team are fun. I guess I, I thought about, like, our days were really difficult. And then we'd all get in the vehicles to go back to the guest house. And, and the conversations would instantly change to lighthearted topics. Yeah. Often, maybe not every day, but but it seemed like there, it was like a self-preservation where people would try to yeah. turn the conversation towards lighthearted topics and laugh about different different things and tease, like when you find out your pastor doesn't wear a shirt <laughs> all the time, like when he's, I don't know, washing his car or running hills or something like or that. Or taking a shower, apparently you <laughs> have to wear a shirt all the time. <laughs> So and there were just there were some really great conversations that would happen after yeah. we would leave and 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 I feel like that that was those were the fun the fun moments but it's really hard to pick out a moment while we were at the camps where I would say it was fun yeah it's a strange dynamic because it's not like you would say at least I would say I'm happy to be here but this isn't happy fun times. Or there's a lot of times I say, I'm enjoying this, but I'm not enjoying right. this. It's just different. Well, and yeah, the whole difference between happy, fun, and joyful. Like, there were definitely moments of experiencing joy. Um, certainly watching the Kenyans worship, that's... And I, I, I have that problem where I call them Kenyans, the refugees. They're not yeah, Kenyans. true. Um, that kind of gets confusing to people, um, yeah. even me. But to watch the refugees worship, they are so, they're so joyful. Mm-hmm. And, and then when when this is something I'm struggling with right now, when I come back here, our worship does not appear to be joyful, at least not um, on the outside. Comparatively, for sure. Right. Yeah. What is that? I mean, it's it's like we have the benefit, and it's it's kind of a Western thing. The benefit of of resources and time, and you know, just life is softer and easier, and so our worship services tend to be more subdued and less joy filled. And then you go to Kenya, where things are hard. There's zero resources in this refugee camp, where it's just just rough on everybody, and they're joyful. 
it's like this inverse relationship that I don't know. But it, is it a bad thing? I mean, our, you wouldn't say our worship is bad. You shouldn't. You're on the worship team. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. It's just it's so. It seems our worship seems so much more introspective. Maybe. Uh-huh. I don't know. They there there seems to be things in Kenya like they're they're resource constrained, but they're not constrained with their their outward emotion of praising God. And and I feel like we are constrained with our outward emotion of praising God. Yeah. And I think I think I've been feeling it more like since since I have this vocal injury, I can't I can't sing. That's yeah. or it's difficult to sing or it hurts to sing. And singing has always been like how I worship God. And I can't worship that way. So I want to be doing something different, moving my hands or clapping. Which they do so easily in Kenya, but but here it's like you feel like your limbs are made of cement, mm-hmm. and it's <laughs> like it just I can't get my hands to come together. Yeah. So it's really it's really fun to see, just and how here kids always seem to get into the worship so easily. Yeah. Um, but to watch, it's like the it's like the adults worship like kids also. Yeah. Just. Filling their arms and clapping and yeah, moving their feet and yelling hallelujah and yeah. <laughs> throwing a cross at yeah. you. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's special. It's special to watch that worship. I love it. I, I wonder sometimes if it isn't. Maybe it has something to do with a reservation um, of, of appearing like we're we're celebrating all of that we have. You know, I, I always think that way when it comes to you know the old saying. I don't remember who said it, but it's in relation to NFL football. When somebody gets to the end zone, act like you've been there before. You know, don't don't jump up and down and, and get all crazy and, and showboaty. You know, relax. This is yeah. a good job. So I wonder if that's not part of our worship experience is okay, just relax. Don't don't showboat. You you got all this awesome stuff because, you know, blessings from God are blessings from God. Just dial it back a little bit. Yeah. I've been playing with that in my mind for a while. I'm not sure that's right. That could be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I'm struggling with the whole, what are blessings? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, we're there, and we would visit with people, and we would we'd say we're here to encourage you and to pray with you, and their response would just be, thank you, God bless you, God bless you, and and just things like we we... I think that that we feel like people in America or the Western world. We we feel like we're blessed, and we we think it's because of all the stuff we have. Uh-huh. We, we we are, and we are we are materially blessed. We we have a lot of stuff, but is that that's not really blessing? Right, and it could even be um, worse. I mean, you can get so blessed with stuff that you start to equate that with the best blessings. Yeah, that's been a like when I think about what's the hardest thing about the trip. It's, it's what you've said before. It's it's the coming back. Like I think I'm in the worst phase of the trip uh-huh, right now. Probably. <laughs> I feel like it's all this stuff. It's it's our schedules, it's our activities, it's our um, working out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it distracts us from God. Yeah. And then and like you you go there and they seem the people in the refugee camp they seem so close to God. Right. And they don't have all these things that we call blessings. Right. I mean, it's just I always feel I, I have to combat the feeling of being embarrassed or ashamed 
by all the crap I have. Um, and for, for me, I all the time, one of my issues is, so I, I like to work out. You like to work out. That is such a stupid luxury. Yeah. When you see people in a refugee camp, they're like, I'm going to try and burn some calories. And they're like, I'm going to try and find some calories. Right. <laughs> like, oh. That could just be a transfer right. there. <laughs> figure out a way to get this. You know, I've, I've got um, an excess of food. I'm trying to manage what I eat and not eat these things where they're just trying to manage to eat something. Right. And I've got, you know, I've got muscle mass that is extra because I have extra calories and extra time and extra resources to have a gym membership. I've got all this extra. So I walk around and I just feel like I should crawl in a hole and die because he's... There's, there's a reason why there's not a lot of bodybuilders in that refugee camp. Right. <laughs> so, I do think there are some fast runners. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. In fact, we're um, the, the other trip that we do in Morunga is not far from where all of those Kenyans who do that, uh, who win all of the marathons, it's right there. So pretty often cool. I'll be driving and just seeing these people whiz by like, man. <laughs> that is really cool. Slow down, dude. <laughs> no lines are chasing you. You're fine. Yeah. Relax. <laughs> Yeah, that is coming back is honestly the toughest part. Mm-hmm. There's no question because you have to get your head around life here is going to continue and you have to figure out how to do that. But you've fundamentally changed who you are. Right. So, what do you think has changed most? In, oh, in- gosh. I think I'm still figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely was. We, we were 15 minutes late to church on Sunday, and I was less bothered by that Good. than I would have ordinarily been. I just kept it just kept going through my head. Well, church will start when I get there, yeah. and that's when it did start for me. It right. started when I got there, right. and that was okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I think how I view time and what happens, I'm a little. I, I'm I like to plan things out, and I like to have a schedule. And I'm maybe easing up on that a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. I think another theme that I've thought about that relates to this is um, to just wait. <laughs> just wait and and see what happens. It was actually a podcast that I listened to. Um, Sarah had had suggested I listen to it when I was like first having these focal issues. Um, I think the. The artist's name is Cody Carnes, but he was talking about that you should worship while you wait. Yeah. And so, yeah, here I am, like, dealing with this vocal issue, not being able to sing. I'm just going to be praiseful right now. Yeah. In, in a different way. And so with, yeah, other aspects of my life, I guess, where I would ordinarily feel very rushed or like this has to, this has to happen now or this has to get done or we're going to be late. It's like, just, just wait. Yeah. For me, it's um, I, I picked that lesson up a long time ago by a good buddy of mine, Mike Spain, um, who wrote this awesome book with his wife. We have, you were here when we did that, so it's it's been since then. But Color of Rain, we, we got to get you a copy. We got oh, we got to do this again. Book. It's they've got a phenomenal story. They wrote a, a New York Times bestseller book. These are friends of mine, and I'm in the book. By the way, I, I make an appearance in the book as. The associate youth pastor. So, oh, yes. not even by name, but no. you, you know that they're talking about you. Yes, <laughs> that's all that matters. <laughs> uh, I got made into a Hallmark movie and everything, so it's it's actually kind of cool. Um, but anyways, I'm not in the Hallmark movie, unfortunately. I thought Ryan Gosling or you know somebody <laughs> else could have played me, but I guess John Cena was busy that day. Whatever. I see. Anyways, um, yeah, the 
Point being that he said this this great thing, and I think a friend of his or his dad maybe had said it to him. Instead of trying to get up to the plate every time and hitting a home run or hitting doubles and triples, sometimes you just wait and you take a walk and you get to first. And then who knows, maybe there's a pass ball and you get to second and you steal third and then you get hit in, you, you got to run. But instead of just trying to force everything, so that for me, that that's how the trip has evolved. And I, that's part of why I like being on this trip is I I can tell you for sure with 100% accuracy and, and batting a 1,000, the spirit is going to show up and I'm going to see something awesome. Mm-hmm. And instead of trying to get there like the first day and be like, oh, I got to... Let's do something cool so the Holy Spirit can show up. Like just, just chill, wait, take a walk. Yeah, it'll happen. And it did. Yeah. I mean, we we saw a lot of really cool Holy Spirit moments, and and people experienced a lot of deep stuff. Definitely. Yeah. What was what was the the toughest thing you think that that you dealt with while you were there? It was it was a challenge for me to let go of the things that had happened the day before or the stories that we had heard or the faces that we had seen. It was hard. It was hard also to, to I, I would often feel like I want to go back and visit with those people more. And I, I can't. Right. So those two things. And, and that second thing it, that, that changed, I guess, is the, I feel like by Wednesday when I would say, um, let's say back up a little bit, Monday and Tuesday when we would say goodbye and I would usually say um, something like, I hope to see you next year or I hope to see you again in the near future or something. It changed to, I probably won't see you. There's a slight possibility. Even if I'm back here next year, I may or may not see you. But by Wednesday, that, that farewell felt more like I'll see you at the resurrection. Yeah. And that was super cool to to like really, really in my heart feel like I will see this person again someday. That's one of my favorite things. I, I say this all the time is there's going to be that day at the resurrection when all of these people <clears throat> who are from Sudan, South Sudan, uh, Burundi, all of these different places are going to walk up to us at the resurrection and say, do you remember when you visited me? Right. And of course, with perfect resurrected minds, we'll be like, of course I do. And, and this and, is your name. Yeah, we're going to remember <laughs> all of that. And, like, uh, what an awesome thing. It will be really great. Yeah. It, it so informs our faith. I'm, I'm so much more resurrection-focused. And that's weird. I guess a pastor should always be resurrection-focused. But, I mean, just the way I see every bit of life in terms of, okay, the next world. Okay, yeah, but the next world. You know, I've, I've got a busy calendar right now and a lot of things going on. But you know what? In the next world, man, it's going to be nice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sit back and just not have a schedule that I have to abide by. I have no kids to get to a practice or school yeah. or anything. Yeah, it sounds weird to say this, but in a way, maybe for those of us that go on the mission trip, it's it's very freeing because the day it's the day was not mine, the day was not ours, mm-hmm. the day was God's, and we just we just we just knew we kind of get there on this time and we we see what happens from there. Yeah, and that's our days aren't like that here. It's it's like never in my life have I felt like I had absolutely no control and it was really it was really liberating Uh, to to just like you just felt really light on your feet i Mm -hmm. guess oh yeah yeah and it's that that starts to extend earlier and earlier that's joanne and i have this little inside joke the second the door closes on the plane well now i'm god's captive and i'm done yeah you know i'm just here for the ride now all the planning all the work 
<clears throat> you did it or you didn't do it. You planned it and you packed it or you didn't pack it. Right. <laughs> Either way. You get there and you realize I didn't need that thing that I forgot <laughs> right? or all this other stuff I brought. I didn't need it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the more you go, the the more, and I, I'm already talking as if you're going again, but that's, we'll, we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> I assume you're going again. Uh, you, you pack less and less, you, you care less and less and you get to the point where it's like, I don't know, I got a couple of shirts and some socks. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. It's fine. But yeah, definitely. I feel like whatever Keith brings, that's <laughs> what I'm going to bring. <laughs> there, that's a whole different thing. Like <laughs> Keith and then um, uh, Kate um, Pithand by way of Tony. That was last year, too. It's like they just have all of these little things. You're like, ah, of course I want a sewing kit. Right. But I've gotten to the point where I just I just bring Keith. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. <laughs> That's my method is I just bring Keith. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get Tony to go. I don't think he'll go, but I bet I bet Kate will go again, and I bet she'll bring some cool toys. Yeah, when I talked to her before we went, it sounded like it was something that is maybe on her heart. Will be she again. Goes back. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard to think about not going after you've been once Mm -hmm. it's like you feel like you just got started and it's time to leave yeah so i yeah and the other part of it too is i feel like while i was there i i sort of discovered a part of myself that that i didn't know existed and now coming back it's like that that piece of me is still there and i like that that part where you can just so openly pray with people Uh uh-huh that part of Debbie didn't come back. <laughs> she's, oh. she's still in Kenya. <laughs> like openly pray with a group of people. It's not something that's um, that I did before yeah. I left. Like pray out loud for someone or with 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 people or like an open group prayer or something. And that just that just like happens so many times each day there. And it's really it's really fun to, to feel that feeling and to experience it and to just kind of let go and yeah. see what the Holy Spirit wants you to be saying. And that I'm just not so open to receiving the Holy Spirit here. I feel like, I don't know why. Well, so do you feel like you, you don't have that here now after the trip, you're still not comfortable praying in front of people, groups, all that kind of stuff. Still not. Okay. And it might just be, it might depend on who I'm with. I was, um, with some family back in New Mexico and there was like an obvious time to pray and I just felt like the words weren't there. Mm. Interesting. And I didn't have I didn't have trouble finding the words when I was in Kenya. Yeah. So well someone else who's been on the trip says that they go back um to feel whole. Uh-huh. I, I get that. That's kind of what what this feels like. Yeah. And I, I think that over time, it's, it's, I always say it's kind of like accessing a chunk of your heart, like a room that was in your heart you didn't know you had a key to. You're walking around in your heart with this keychain. You're like, wonder what this opens. And then you get to the and you're like, oh, it opens the prayer door. Right. <laughs> cool. Um, you get that key and you're like, I'm not sure I'm supposed to go in that room anymore. Like now that I'm here, that was just a Kenya thing. Yeah. I bet if you, if you start, just you got to do it a couple of times. You go, oh, yeah, I can totally open that room. Um, but the more you go, the more often you're there, the more it seems like it, coming back over, I'm just like, I'm not shutting that door. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I don't care. I look weird. I don't care. I think it's here. I'm so nervous about, well, I don't know if they're believers. Right. But we don't know if they're believers in Kenya either. Right. <laughs> but we still pray. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's strange. 
it's a little frustrating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you open the door in Kenya, everybody's like, oh, that's cool. We're going to pray now. I don't believe in Jesus, but uh, absolutely pray for me. That'd be great. Yeah. And here you're always nervous. Like somebody's like, I don't really want to. So I just do. And I mean, that that's the piece where over time, if, if you exercise it, you kind of open that door, you'll, you'll just start to be like, I don't care if you believe. I'm, I'm praying, not you. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. That works for me. Those, um, it's like a muscle analogies. Yeah. Yes. There you go. <laughs> you, you've got to exercise the muscle. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've got to get into that, into the groove and, and just do it. It's like, um, so I, I do uh, a, just a little bit of powerlifting in those classes that I, I just talked Gibson into going yes. to. Um, I, I did that when I was in high school and college. I know the the movements, but it's been 30 years. Every time I go to the gym, I'm never like, oh, I'm going to hang clean today. I'm like, oh, I'm going to bench, you know, <laughs> or I'm going to do squats or something. Something familiar. Yeah. And then we start doing them and it hurts and it sucks and I feel awkward. Um throwing a bar up and trying to get underneath of it. All of that just is like my body kind of knows what to do. I remember the technique, but now that I've been doing it for a couple of months, I'm like, man, I can't, I can't wait to go and hang clean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just, you just got to exercise it. And that's, that's part of why it's always good to go back. I, I really encourage people, um, to go back, exercise that muscle again and, and just get a little bit more used to it, mm-hmm. a little bit more into it. Yeah. I feel, I wonder though, so then some other conversations I've had since coming back, people will often say, oh, yes, we're so we're so lucky that we live in this country. And then somebody might say, oh, yes, yes, I know. I know how lucky we are. But it's weird because <laughs> having don't. gone there, I feel like I know even less. Right. I feel like you just <clears> – <throat> because there's so much uncertainty and it's like, yeah. And I there's just, a great deal of certainty and confidence and ignorance. Yes. So you learn a little bit and you're like, oh, that's what I don't know. Yeah. But here, okay, everybody knows everything here. We do. I've got Google. <laughs> I know. And when we do, we have we have so much. We have all this opportunity. And I, you know, we talk a lot about hope while we're there. Yeah. And um, I was comparing the things that we hope for here. Like, oh, I hope, um, you know, for good things for my kids. Maybe there are specific things. Like, I hope that so-and-so is a really good ball player or so-and-so is a really good piano player or whatever. But they, the things that they hope for are so much more real Yeah, <laughs> that just, they hope that their child is alive the next day or a month from now. Mm-hmm. Like that's, we don't really know what it is to hope. Right. Or for, not for anything significant. And I, I always want to be careful. Yes, I, I get it. Your hope for a better job is significant. Anybody listening out there, I'm not disparaging you. I'm saying it's not significant in the same way that meeting your spouse who you haven't seen and don't know if is alive, I hope I see them again, different. Right. Very different kind of hope. You know, that all of those women who... Um, had to flee from home and their husbands are back fighting in a war or something like that. They're, they're just hope and that the hope that my husband's alive. Okay. That's, that is a bigger deal than Mm -hmm. I hope I get a new job. Not the same. Yeah. We can't compare. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to, to like interface with people having come back. Have Have you had like some challenges trying to connect with somebody about the trip? Oh, I feel like anytime somebody asks me, <laughs> I I can't connect. <laughs> <laughs> What's the hang up? What keeps you from connecting? Well, it's something that you had mentioned before also. It's like do they want 
the 10 second blurb <laughs> or do they do they truly want to know right what it was like and and things that, things that happened things that we experienced and and are they in a place to understand understand it mm-hmm. yeah it kind of ruins you in that regard it does you know one of the things that was sort of a joke towards the end of the trip is there are no more newbies, <laughs> you know, like this is, and that's part of that shift from, from newbie to veteran is, uh, crap, I'm, I'm inside and now I can't ever be just all outside and pretend things aren't true or that life is this way. And now you have to deal with people who are outside. Yeah. But you also don't want to go back to being outside, on right. the outside and you want, you want others to experience. Yeah. It's just inconvenient. Right. <laughs> Because I want to talk to you about like poverty and you're thinking like, yeah, those people who have to live in trailers, like, no, man, those trailers are gorgeous. Right. Oh, the people in the refugee camp would trip over themselves. People in the trailers have running water. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That was something that struck me. There was a woman that we visited. She did not seem well physically, but she had an incredibly thriving garden, a big garden. And to have the realization like, she goes and carries buckets back and forth so that she can water those vegetables yeah. and those flowers. And it was it was probably the most beautiful spot we found mm-hmm. while we were there. And there's a decent chance she doesn't feel well because she's not drinking enough water. Oh. Usually when you hear back pains or kidney issues, not enough water. Okay. So she is just, just imagining that kind of a decision. So... I drink less water and harm my body, but I can grow vegetables to eat for my body. When she has four children. Yeah. and I'm, So she's probably thinking, I need to feed them vegetables. and yeah. yeah. So kids get water and vegetables, and she probably gets very little. Mm-hmm. Ugh. It's, you know, and, and when you hear that, you, you can say, that sounds terrible. When you see it and experience, you know, eat. You can experience what people are feeling in, in those moments, talking to them. It's just a different understanding. Right. It's so, and it's so hard to convey that to somebody. Um, yeah, it's, it's not futile. It's, it's worth trying. It's worth trying to tell people about the trip. Yeah, I had seen a decent amount of poverty before, yeah. like going to the Philippines, um, shacks that are like built on little posts that go into the, 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 the ocean, basically. But it's so different to hear people's stories, yeah, and to like really see the, really see the pain on their faces when they talk about, yeah, their spouse who they don't know where they are, or to hear hear a mom talk about, you know, I have three children, but I lost one or I lost two, and now I have this one with me, and that's yeah, it's heart wrenching. Yeah, and those stories are absolutely in the Philippines too. It's it, when when we go to places not mission trip minded we walk right by them right and that's true in the philippines and like you know chicago <laughs> yeah <laughs> right around us so i think i really value about the trip is it kind of changes your eyes and and you see you see that person on the street a little bit differently and and you empathize a little bit more and it doesn't mean if you're doing it right it doesn't mean that you jump up and be like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a 100 bucks to go you know Again, that's not what we do in, in Kenya in the refugee camp. It's not what we should be doing here. Yeah. It's a different thing. I mean, those, yeah, those conditions, well, some of the conditions do exist in other places, but don't you feel like the huge difference is the people in Kakama, they would go do something if yeah. they could, 
but they that's where the situation just feels so hopeless is that they can't there's no place for them to go i think that's that's probably been the biggest frustration talking to people about our experiences there is you know there of course in this country it's like well if you're unhappy with your situation do something to change it mm-hmm. but they really can't right, right. and it's, it's even like so the, when you're in, in a really poor situation in the Philippines or some other country, you're in a bad situation at home. These, these are people who are in a bad situation in a strange land mm-hmm. that's away from home that they can't go to. It's, it's just – it compounds itself. And the other thing that's re- always really frustrating for people here to understand is just the complexity. We, we want it to be a simple problem. So, okay, it's a big problem, but it's easy, right? We just throw a pile of money at it and it'll go away, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> like it actually won't because you can, you can give all of these people all the resources in the world and they still can't go home because bad guys want to kill them because they're bad people in yeah. the country. So, And it's – you know, with the UN, that's always a great complicated conversation. Be like, well, the UN has complicated things, yes, because they have this camp and it's become permanent and that's not a good scenario. Um, so that's bad. But they give them food and water. That's good. They don't give them enough food and water. OK, that's bad. But if they didn't give them some, they wouldn't have any. They would starve and die. That's good. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> I can't figure out. Is the UN good or bad? And I go, complicated. Yeah. It's almost <laughs> like you, you have to stop thinking about it. Because there's yeah. no there's no resolution to it, right? Because the, I mean, the only thing you could I mean, there's no human like there's yeah. no there's no way that humans can resolve it. That's where I was going. Is it's, yeah. it's not like this. We're always trying to solve this problem when when the real calling is to go and offer hope that's outside this world, which is really super easy to do if you just share Jesus and doesn't cost the UN a dime, right? <laughs> so it's easy. It does. It's just it all comes back to Jesus. Like that's the only answer. It's all Jesus. Weird, huh? (laughs) Someone keeps saying that. It's like like we're on a mission trip. I thought this was a vacation for you. Right. (laughs) I thought this was a fun service trip. But but so much of the dynamic there is really complicated. And Uh we we tried having a conversation. This was um, this was on Thursday. So I forget which. Kakama, we were in. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, two, I think it was Kakama two. But um, conversation with the women in the afternoon about oh, it kind of started to move towards tribalism, but but that like um, how do people go about like finding their spouses in the camps, and would it ever is it possible for someone from one tribe to marry someone from another tribe? And the answer was absolutely not. And we tried, like I shared my experience or my own situation that while my mother's from the philippines my dad is american they are you know technically from different tribes but they they are married and have been for many many years can that happen here and it's just it's like they their their brains can't wrap themselves around that ever happening and i i'm not sure why i wonder if it's because they do hold out hope of going home and if they do go home the and you know their child is married to someone from a different tribe doesn't it doesn't seem like that works in their yeah in their I mean, world it's, it's a i was just having a conversation this morning um with a, a pastor buddy and, and he was frustrated because he's he was talking about a people group here in des moines that he's been working with and the issues of time and like he, the question kept coming back to i just don't know how to coach them to understand that you know if they want to have a worship service we need it to start this time and end this time because of the custodians and the this and the that 
And I kept going, you're, you're trying <laughs> to make them American. Like, yeah. That's just then have them worship in your church and don't let them have their own service. But don't so – you can't scrub the culture out of somebody. And he's like, yeah, especially I guess he's you know fifty something. No, 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 no. This this was in them before they were fifteen years old. You can't undo what what culture. I mean, you can work really hard to deal with it, but your instinct is always going to be to have this way to see the world. And that's right. what's been really helpful for me is is to like find the value and the beauty in somebody else doing world different. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's you, you can't do it here. You can't have church. Sunday ish, you know, <laughs> like when everybody's here, we'll start church. There are soccer games in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't work here, but I can find the beauty in the way that another culture does it. Yeah. And go, okay, that's just as good of a way to do it, just super different. Yeah. So to, to find a way to embrace that, and then, then you start to get more empathetic to people and be like, okay, you just see the world different. Like it's politically, you know, this person and I might be very different. But they just see the world differently. So, of course, they come to a different conclusion than I come to. That's that's fine. I just mm-hmm. I start in a different place and end in a different place. That's, again, back to wouldn't it be cool if there is one thing <laughs> where we all start in the same place and we can all end in the same place? Yeah. And it has nothing to do with politics or culture or anything. It would just be awesome to have that one thing where we can all find commonality. You do it that way. I'll do it this way. Meet you at the resurrection. Right. Yeah, uh, it's that. I keep thinking of this um, that that book that you had us read. I'm still trying to get through it, but it's actually. I'm glad that I haven't finished it. It's the when helping hurts. Mm-hmm. It, um, I'm in the section where it's talking a lot about um, knowledge supremacy. Yeah, yeah. And we think that we have all this knowledge to impart on them. Oh, interracial marriages—they do work. They can be great. But maybe not for them, right? And that's okay, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> that our way. Works for us, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe not. It's debatable sometimes, I think. But, um, but we we don't really have the answers. Well, there's no one right way because everything has its pros and its cons. Mm-hmm. So the way they do life and the way they live life in in a different culture often mean they have such better relationships. Um, they're much tighter to their family, and we in America sit around and go, "I wish I had that." I'm mm-hmm. Like, well, you can. Here's what you have to give up. And we start going, mm, mm. <laughs> my, my favorite line ever from Julie from way back was, she goes, they're doing it right. They're right. We're wrong. And I said, well, they have malaria. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we, our Western thinking has developed technologies and treatments and stuff where, I mean, do you want to trade that? Do you want to give up your car? Do you want to give up all of these cool things that we have to have a better relationship with your kid? Definitely. Well, shoot, don't judge me. I know, I know. But that's, <laughs> that's what's so tough about it. You put in those terms, you're like, I, I know the wrong answer is yeah. I definitely want stuff more than a relationship with my kid. <laughs> but <laughs> that's what it feels I like. I didn't actually answer the question, so. <laughs> no. That's, so it's pros it and cons. Is. Yeah, it really is. I don't, I can't say and, which is better. And for them, I think that is part of the hope is holding on to their culture. That's, yeah. oh, that's yeah. a lot of what sustains them. Well, it's so much rooted in, in your identity, mm-hmm. you know? It, and, and somebody's going to be like, your identity is in Christ. Right, but the culture and the context into which Christ came to you the first time 
is that culture and that context. Those things are forever married in your experience. Mm-hmm. That's honestly that's probably why we get um, so stuck here worshiping in a way that isn't um, similar to the way they worship. Because the first worship we had, the, the coming to Christ, the the experience of grace that we have felt most often is in the context of this thing that seems cold and stuffy and the standard Lutheran stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. Um, but I don't know. Is it, it's not better or worse. It's just different. It's very different. We sang of, we sang a verse of something there. Maybe it was amazing grace. A I can't remember. Fortress, I no, it wasn't. Oh. But, um, they kind of giggled at the end. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the female refugees kind of because I'm sure they just it was so yeah it was so different from the way they would the way yeah. they sang in ours was so kind of managed <laughs> our singing is so managed is the best oh, way to put it great way to put it yeah <laughs> yes All right, it's, it's so like we have managed. to talk about it beforehand okay well, this is what we're gonna sing okay we'll just do this verse wait does this verse end this way you know it's like it's so um, scripted yeah yeah that's I. One of my big uh, issues with the way families are raising kids in America today feels like that. It's, I, I say it's orchestrated. I've, I've got close family that I love who are trying to build uh, relationships with their kids by orchestrating it. So here's the weekend that's going to be the time that I bond with my kid doing this and then I'm going to do that and then we're going to go and do this thing. And I go, all you're really doing is trying to recreate those things from when you were a kid that you bonded with your parents. And guess what? They didn't script them. They did something that they wanted to do. They You bonded together. It was cool. You're forcing it. Like just allow allow your connection and your relationship with people you love to be genuine, spontaneous. I mean it's, it's okay to plan a weekend and have a good time and bond on that yeah. weekend. But that's that's all icing. That's supplemental to bond with your kid in the moment where it arises. Like last night, Isaac, uh, I went to his open house um, for ninth grade and I, we had so much fun because I just kept giving him such crap in front of all his teachers. <laughs> so, yeah, he was, I was embarrassing the snot out of him. Poor kid. Well, it's, it's the funny thing is he's he's at that stage where he's got a brilliant sense of humor and um, he's he's one of those weird kids who doesn't mind being embarrassed. Like, it would kill my daughter. Yeah. Like, if I embarrassed Matea in front of somebody, she'd just sit down and cry. And Isaac was just laughing and giggling. and So it turned out to be a bonding moment. That was great. Last thing I did is, as we were walking to the truck, I said, dude, I, I got, like, real serious. And so he knew something was up. I go, I want to apologize. Uh, I promise I'm not going to do anything else to draw attention to you or embarrass you. <laughs> and I hit the panic button. Oh, no. <laughs> You're like, after this. After this one last he thing. He was like, really? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> Set the car just—I couldn't drive for a good few minutes. That I was is awesome. There's no planning to that. Actually, I wanted to go because his English teacher in um is in advanced English sent something home and in it nicely crafted something that that was sort of a tip to Christians. Like um, here's what I've been doing over the summer. One of them was working with uh, the church youth group, and I went, yeah, nice. I talked to that guy. Yeah. So I said, "What church you go to?" And he goes, "Oh." He, Perked right up and he was like, yeah, let's talk about church. Since you started it, I could talk. So yeah. we're chit-chatting back and forth. He goes, yeah, let's let's keep in contact. Maybe we can have a conversation about, you know, something. And I was like, mm, Those moments are fun. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That happened with a neighbor of mine. Yeah. 
I uh, I can't remember. It was sometime around Easter, but um, came up that she's been to our church before. Oh, cool. She said, um, she said, do you have, I was describing to her where our church is, and do you, is your pastor, does he have two first names? I was like, <laughs> yes, that is my church. <laughs> yeah. That was fine. So, you want a piece of gum? I don't accept gum from you anymore. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> this is nicotine gum, too. It's the best thing in the world. I don't know why you're opposed to it. I was not going to incriminate you while oh, this is my. being recorded. Ow. I'm so incriminated in so many different ways. Yeah, this podcast is fun. I like it. That was that was the only disappointment that Eric had with this trip was that I succumbed to peer pressure he, he and tried, tried the yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe you succumbed to peer pressure also with the the Kenyan street sausage. Which, I did a little bit. So I didn't think that was a big deal, but it was hilarious how big a deal you thought it was. <laughs> well, I just did not expect. <laughs> This is my own biases. I, I, I always forget that you've got, you know, the, the Philippines background and all that. I thought for sure I was working myself up. I was gonna I was gonna go for it and eat it. But I was like really looking, double checking. I'm I'm doing things like, okay, he's he's cooking it here, cutting it on this board with that knife. Oh, he's using a different knife. So I'm like checking all these boxes out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> so you just eat it. And I was like, Well crap. <laughs> Now, regardless, if I if I saw him pick his nose or something, I'd be like, "I still have to eat it." Oh yeah, I wasn't thinking about it. any <laughs> any of the like sanitation issues, or was the knife used to cut something raw? Or yeah, I was a little nervous about it. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I was that's like, hilarious. Yeah, once you ate it, I was like, "Well, that's that's been decided for me. There's yeah. no way I'm not eating it now." So I wish I'd had a packet of salt with me. It was a little under seasoned. I was surprised by that. Yeah. I was. It was kind of bland. It just wasn't special. I was it, really expecting yeah, something. Yeah, it wasn't awesome. off putting, but um but I wouldn't I wouldn't choose to eat it again. Yeah. Interesting textures. That's the there are lots of different textures. Chewinesses. Different chewinesses. Yeah, there was a lot of organs in what we ate. Yeah. It was full of the insides of something. Yeah. It was fine. I mean it was. It it's only it's only sketchy because the surrounding is this like dirty uh uh, lean to looking thing, you know, right. and, and just the whole everything about that place screams cholera lives here, <laughs> you know, I mean, like every everywhere just you garbage look, yeah. everywhere, yeah, yeah. That was a part of the trip that I I really did enjoy. Like I, because there we 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 didn't get to experience that much of Kenya right. while we were there. We experienced a lot of this refugee camp, but like going out for the street sausage, that was. That was Kenya. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that part was really fun. Super duper Kenya. <laughs> yeah. Although the Turkana women kind of freaked me out a little bit. Why? They just seemed very, like, uh, aggressive, very much. Um, they were just kind of in your face about begging for money. Yeah. You know, just, it was, because it, cause it, I didn't feel unsafe in the refugee camps ever, but I did feel unsafe Sometimes being out outside of the guest house. Yeah, it's a bit. So, how do, how do I describe uh, the women? It's uh, it, it's intimidating. Like they they have a strength to them that they project that I don't think they realize. Right, like these little tiny frail women that just come right up to you and make eye contact and start asking for money to feed their starving child, and that yeah. was yeah, I was in, I was intimidated. And I'm, I am 100% sure you can do more push-ups than them. But it feels in that moment like this woman could kick the crap out yeah, of me. Yeah, or if I tried to run, 
somebody that she knows could catch me. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah, there's it, – that's not – it's not like an accurate um, – that, that's just kind of their culture. I think you were with us that time that the guy came out of the tent um, or out of the, the house and, and was talking to me specifically and got like within two inches from my face and was being very animated. Were you there with I us? don't think I was there. Oh, shoot. I think Samantha was there. Um, yeah, I, I kind of knew – I think it was Samantha, maybe somebody else who was new. And I, and I was just like, I just kind of shifted. I, I bladed my body over to be in between because this, this is how they talk. They talk loud, aggressive, in your face. Yeah. Um, and it is not aggressive. It's just this is the way they have a conversation. Right. And I was like, whoa, this is going to scare the crap out of some people. <laughs> so but he was saying all nice things was the, was the thing. He was talking about good stuff and it's good that we're here but it's like it is very good that you're here <laughs> like yeah. your body language is saying something different <laughs> yeah. well that's and that's i always laugh when, when people talk about reading people and their body language like you're reading culture sure because that body language in our culture is that guy's about to st- he had a knife too by the way he was cutting something i definitely was not there yeah i think i would have remembered the knife he's waving a knife around and it was like, yeah, he's he was just cutting up vegetables or do, I mean, he was doing something legit with a knife, and he's yelling. And then the interpreter, <laughs> like, so he's yelling in Arabic, I think. And then the interpreter was like, he's saying he's really happy that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's just how it is. That is awesome. <laughs> but it was the same thing uh, last year. Uh, Delaney and Morgan, these these two boys were looking at them. And they felt like, oh, they're they're leering, and it's that's how they look. Yeah. And they're they're tall. I mean, they're South Sudanese, super tall, imposing figures. But they're just standing there looking. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's hard. It's hard, really, for me to understand like how much of a a spectacle we are. Whether <laughs> we're in in Kakama refugee camp or Kakama town, we're just. Th- there was one day when Samantha and I went to the restroom and on the way back we just saw some something super hilarious all these little kids playing with their balloons yeah which it took us a few seconds to realize that the balloons were condoms sure were i don't really know if they knew what they were but then (laughs) and they just they were being so hilarious and like making these hand gestures and we asked another kid you know what are they what what is this why are they making those hand gestures and they said oh that's their style so I don't know, just some some kind of little cool <laughs> hand wave or something that they do. I don't even claim to know about cool things here in this country, so it's a little odd for me to talk about something that's like cool in Kakama. Right. But so I said to Samantha, I'm going to run back and get my camera. Just mm. and she decided to wait there, and it was just right outside a church. But I think it was when the men were off in the afternoon and the women were off, so it was just her and I out there by ourselves. And by the time I came back from getting my camera she had drawn like even more of a crowd mm-hmm. and and then somebody that was from that church a refugee came out like pretty much right after i left and said you guys need to come back like i didn't appreciate especially her being blonde yeah that she really sticks out like a sore thumb and then here she was standing out there for maybe 15 seconds by herself but like i kind of cringe now i never oh, felt yeah. unsafe there but of course then things will run through your your head scenarios that like, yeah. oh, why was I so wrapped up in getting a picture of these boys right. with their well, It's not unsafe, balloons. but it's super off-putting. 
Like, it's just off-putting when you're standing there and everybody's staring at you and you're like, ah, it's because I'm the white guy. Right. Cool. Everybody is, huh? And so I guess you get a little bit of a taste of what it, what it must be for minorities in our country who, you know, people stare and look because of the color of your skin. I can honestly say I know what that's like. Mm-hmm. It's not real comfortable. No. <laughs> Even if they're well-intentioned and just... Yeah. I have a here's a here's a story a true confession. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a racist event in my life, but I, I it might be. This may have been a racist thing I did shortly after because I, I did Kenya, came back a couple weeks, Kenya again, came back, and I just gotten into this mode of of driving around, and I'm the white guy spectacle. <laughs> so I'm driving, and a van pulls up next to me, and and this this black guy in the van just turns his head towards me, and I waved at him. <laughs> I was in that mode of every person who's been looking at me for the last several weeks, every time I look at them, they think it's amazing they're looking at a white guy, an American, and they want to wave at me. So I waved at him, and he looked at me like, what the crap? He thought you were crazy. He slows down. I was like, oh, yeah. Sorry about that. That's hilarious. Awesome. Because he'd probably never seen a white guy before. Oh, yeah. Is what you were thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I just automatic in my head. I'm like, hi. But maybe we should all be more like that. <laughs> I don't know. But, it, I mean, that is one of my favorite things when I go there is you, you can be off-put because you're the spectacle. But I try as much as I can to embrace it and just be like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm, I look weird, don't I? Yeah. You, you want to feel the hair on my arms? Weird, isn't it? I don't know. It's cool. Fine. Yeah. Well. It's very easy to do that with the kids. Oh, yeah. They're so eager to approach. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and to touch your skin and to see what, what it feels like. Mm-hmm. That's always, I mean, we just grow up so differently. And, and I'm very appreciative that our kids live differently because they grow up in a multicultural setting. I know it's Des Moines, but still. Yeah. I mean, they, they go to school and um, it's, they don't ever, my kids don't ever wonder if a black person's skin feels different. Like that would just never cross their mind. But if you've never seen a white person your whole life and here comes this white person, you might be like, I wonder if the skin feels the same. Mm-hmm. Like, is it? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's fun. I, one of my favorite moments was when Sandy was there and they were trying to braid her hair and they were so frustrated and be like, ugh, this white person hair is garbage. <laughs> braid it the way they braid hair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, this that, hair that must have been so cute. <laughs> frustrated like look at the face was ah how do you even comb this garbage that's yeah. growing out of your head <laughs> that is so cute uh, i thought it was fun the kids there were a real highlight it was so fun to, yeah. to be with them i i felt super bad though when i saw this little boy he had like a grasshopper or something in his pocket yeah and i asked to see it or i said well, i said what do you have in your pocket like you have a treasure something that you caught like something fun to play with because that's what it would be to my kids mm-hmm and then when you pointed out that it's probably for a snack later, mm-hmm. it's just, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's, yeah, don't look at it. That's my food. Don't let anybody right. else know. Oh, he he pulled away from me. Like, he was not going to let me get close yeah. to, you know. He might even, take his food. Right, right. And you might point it out, and somebody else might notice, a bigger kid might notice that he's yeah. got some food. Yeah. That's a whole thing. It's weird. And it's, but on the other hand, the whole Sally Struthers and, and all of that 
like let's look at the poverty I call it poverty porn actually I didn't coin that phrase somebody else did Shawin the, the poverty porn yeah. of look at these hungry kids and how sad they are okay is that what we experience right not exactly I mean there's a lot of sad kids there's a lot of really happy kids yeah a lot of kids playing with bottle caps and running around and having fun yeah, and these kids are able to like sit through a two-hour-long church service just quiet. Like they don't, they don't need a device to entertain them. There were no iPads in that church. There were no iPads, but there were iPhones. That was that was so bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that, and then someone on our someone on our team said, "Oh, the kids are just so distracted by our devices." I'm like, they're distracted by their mom's devices. I mean, it it was yet they didn't have them like while they were at church, but. Yeah, just strange. You'd hear a cell phone yeah. ring and belong to a refugee. And, and those cell phones are like phones. <laughs> you know, we look at our devices and play on them. They actually use them to call people, text people, social media. But that's, again, communication and relationships. Yeah. I, I don't think I have ever seen somebody pull a phone out and open an app that's like a game. Yeah. Never seen it. I don't think. No. Uh-uh. That that was confusing too, though. Like like that guy Fidel, yeah, that we came across, and all this, he has like all this stuff. His email address. I'm like, <laughs> he he gave us his email address, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's hard to make sense of all of it <laughs> in your head. It's like they're not completely ignorant to things outside of the camp, for sure. Yeah, and it's um, that's that's been a giant boon in how we do what we do but we have to be careful with that still but yeah that um it's just it's just a different way to look at problems like in our country we have a problem of cell towers networks i mean there are places you can be in in des moines and be like oh there's no cell coverage here or somewhere in iowa oh so bad you can't hardly get away from cell phone coverage in kenya it's good and it's fast yeah you know the reason is because they for the most part, pretty well skipped over that whole chunk of landline stuff. So oh. there's no crappy infrastructure or like towers that, that are running 3G. We laugh. There was even a time of 2G. Can you imagine? <laughs> like they started with 4G because they didn't have anything before then. So they started building 4G towers and that's all they built. The The best connection times I ever had would be at lunch when Keith would fire up the... <laughs> Blazing hotspot, yeah. <laughs> blazing fast. It's it's mind numbing, but they're not dealing with. So it's just again, that's a different way to look at a problem. And is it is it good that they were in the dark for so long with technology and infrastructure? No, uh, but it didn't get in the way of them jumping up now. But now we have to manage over connectivity with our our people back here, which right. is a bit of a. I'm sure you've already got a couple of mm-hmm. Facebook messages and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I just kind of ignore them. Yeah, it's a, the best practice. Yeah. I, I do for the most part, too. But it, it really makes sense that if they see sort of our lives back here, it only diminishes right. the, the time that we spend there. Yeah, and honestly, it's hard, it's hard to describe it, but it's hard to convince them of it. But the, the, a lot of them, you know... Many of them, most of them, I would say, want to go home. Some of them want to go to America. Mm-hmm. And I always want to be like, I think if you came, you wouldn't like it. Yeah. I mean, Lily's a great example. She she had an out. She was in Nairobi 
and was like, I want to go home to the refugee camp. Not home, but I want to go back to the refugee yeah. camp by my family. Um, Our translator from one of the days, she's – it was really hard trying to understand how long the process takes for them to get resettled. It, it, I feel like I remember her saying that she started the application process like back in 2008 or 2010 yeah. or something. And so she's going to be resettled in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And now she's just waiting for, I don't know, like a like a fly date. Yeah. And I think she's been waiting for like two years for this fly date. Yeah. But, and her, her English is amazing and impeccable, but she has the most difficult name. Ooh. It's like, you're going to, first thing you have to do is change your name yeah. when you get there. And like, that's, that's a big part of her identity. Like yeah. it, it may it may not feel ever feel easy here Yeah, <laughs> for her. We had a, one of our members here um, from Kenya, Joseph. I sat with him. He, he went on a mission trip with us back to his home in Kenya in Marunga, and I sat watching him have a conversation with somebody in English, fortunately, so I could eavesdrop on it. Um, and it was a family member. I want to say it was an uncle. And he was saying, you don't understand. You can't get to know people in America. And his uncle was like, that's that's foolish talk. You just go and you talk to them. And he goes, I'm telling you, you can't. And his uncle's like, so you're telling me that there's something physically keeping you from walking across the hall. He lives in an apartment. Walking across the hallway, knocking on a door and talking to somebody. And and Joseph just kept shaking his head and like, I know it sounds crazy, but you, you just don't understand. If you were there, you would know. You just can't go talk to your neighbors. And I sat there going, oh, crap. He's right. Yeah. <laughs> We're not very neighborly. No. It's weird. Which is interesting that I, we tried to, to teach them about being, being a good, a good neighbor. neighbor. But really, like, is there anything stopping me from walking, you know, just up and down the block, knocking on the door and be like, hey, man, I just want to get to know you. We live on the same street. There is something stopping you, and that's that you're out in your front yard without your shirt on, <laughs> and yeah, all your neighbors think you're crazy. But yeah, that could be wrong. But here, yeah, I just feel like people they they would be so quick to um to to slam the door or you know be like, what are you trying to sell? I'm not interested in buying anything today. Sure, and it's but again, that. that's how is that communicated? Because it it's never happened to me. But I've, I've never just walked up to a door and be like, I'm just walking up and down the doors, knocking on doors, introducing myself and talking to me about Jesus. I've but never yet, tried it here either. But I know, I, I feel like I know you're right. They'd just be like, nah, shut the door. Yeah. Or or maybe they just be like, oh, I already have a church and yeah. we have to run off and go do something. That's where, yeah, he, here back at home, we're just so much in the mindset of like, we have to be doing stuff. We have to be accomplishing things. I don't have time to talk to this nice person that stopped by just to say hi and introduce himself because I, I have to get my kid off to such and such practice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because we think that that's what's important, like checking all these things off of our to-do uh-huh. list in a day. The schedule and the time orientation of our culture over the relationship and community orientation of that culture. It's so striking. Yeah. It's kind of like when my kids say, "Well, why can't we just um, why can't we just have a play date with so and so?" Well, because their schedule is different than our schedule, and they're doing this today, and we're doing, you know, th- we're doing this today, and it just right. It's irritating. It's super irritating, <laughs> and it takes so long for relationships to grow. <laughs> Which I'm to, sure you felt different when you were there. Like, right? You get to know somebody instantly. Yeah. Yeah. And they would have had us stay and visit with them for as long as we wanted to stay 
Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's such a such a game changer to experience that and realize there's a different way to live. And I, and I keep kind of hoping the resurrection is more like that <laughs> than America. And I, I sound super unpatriotic when I say that, but honestly, it's it's a really good way to live. No, yeah, there are just aspects of our culture that are suffocating. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so any any big takeaways from the trip? Like one one thing like, wow, this was life-changing, or oh, this is a big deal, or oh, that's the... Oh. One thing. Oh, see, this would have been the question I could have prepared for. <laughs> or just that stands out. Oh, a moment that stands out. I, I think. I think my biggest takeaway is that so when I say I didn't really know what I was supposed to go there to do, I mean, I, I did somewhat feel like, okay, we're supposed to kind of teach them, teach them about Jesus mm-hmm. or teach them about hope. But that didn't happen. That didn't happen at all. I, I They taught me. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the days, you know, we'd often like start the, the time in the afternoon with the women like introducing ourselves, sharing a little bit about our stories. And of course, every one of their stories is heart wrenching. And, and yet you just hear so much hope Mm -hmm. in their stories. And so I just feel like they, they show us what it really, really means to have hope. And it's really beautiful to hear these stories and for them to share them with us and to be such examples of hope. Yeah. But then it freaks me out, and I feel sh- I feel ashamed because it's like I don't know if I ever want to be in that situation where I have such amazing hope, where yeah. I'm put into a situation where I ha- I have to be I have to have the kind of hope that they have every day, and yet I feel like their hope makes them really close to God. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a both and. It's like I want that, but I don't want to go through what you have to go through to get that. Right? But it'd be cool to have that. And then it was strange because I was, um, oh, I think I was trying to express some of this to them and I just was so choked up, but I was just really trying to say, thank you for showing me what it means to have hope. And, and Harry was like sobbing and they, <laughs> they're just like, it's okay. Don't, don't cry. You don't need to cry. <laughs> you know, they were encouraging me. <laughs> That's what I love. It's one of those dynamics on this trip. Um, every single time you cannot outgive in the kingdom of God. It's just one of those things where the more you give, the more you receive. I mean, <laughs> like biblical stuff, you know? Yeah. Like it's it's better to give than it is to receive because as you give, the more you you try and go and, and affect hope and and um, encouragement and, and faith to people, you find yourself with more of it. You're like, yeah, but I'm trying yeah. to give this stuff away. And you right. say, you give it away. And you They're the people that don't have anything. I'm supposed to be giving to them, yeah. but they have something that I feel like I don't have, or I don't, I don't have as much yeah. as them. Yeah. We get, we get more than we give no matter how hard we try. You can't outgive the Lord. You just can't. Yeah. It's a great problem. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. And it's, it's strange then to tell people back here, Oh, well, I just got so much. From going on the trip. Well, I thought you were supposed to be serving. Well, I did serve, but I also was served. And, and how foreign of a concept is that in our culture where it's like, oh, no, 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 no. You serve me. I get. You give. 
That that's how this exchange works. Yeah, and and that's just not how I'm convinced humans aren't supposed to be that way. We're we're supposed to be in a in a situation where, as I I give this, I've received this. You know, it's it's this reciprocal relationship where both are built up. This this is why I think a lot of marriages fail is because we start to think you know. Your job is to give me. My job is to give you. You give me this. I give you that. Yeah. And pretty soon, you know, we end up just making the whole marriage a commodity. It's, it's just about it's well, a tit for tat thing. Yeah, I've yeah. been keeping score, and, and you gave me ten, but I gave you twenty. Yeah, uh, you're doing it wrong. And definitely, <laughs> this experience started with me just feeling like I'm supposed to go and give, and there was no expectation. Right. For getting anything in return. That's kind of how a marriage should be. Right. <laughs> that is. You give without the expectation of getting, although there's been a vow made, and, and I would say this is part of our, our Christian vow in the kingdom, is I have no expectation that, that somebody will give to me. My job is, is the expectation of me is to give. And if we're all doing that, then we all get, we all have, everybody grows, faith and grace and, and mercy, everything increases. And we look around and go, there's so much more love mm-hmm. and grace and forgiveness and mercy and joy. And I wasn't even looking to get it. I just have it. Now. Right. We're giving from the wrong places a lot of times in our relationships here. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're keeping score in your marriage, it's not working. <laughs> I can tell you right now. Right. Because <laughs> number one, we always, we always overestimate how much we're giving. Always and like, hey, yeah, I, I, I gave you ten units of love. And my wife would be like, oh, it was like three on a good day. <laughs> oh, all right, I guess you're right. Yeah. Well, you, you want to go back? I do. I yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I wanted to go back. Not, not that moment, but even on the plane ride home. Yeah. I felt like I wanted to go back. Like Friday afternoon when we left. I, I felt spent. Yeah. Like I, like if you had said at that point, oh, we added an extra day, <laughs> I, I think I would have said I I really can't do it. Like I've, I've – Friday felt like mile 20 of a marathon uh-huh. and like I, I used up my energy on that last six miles that day. Like there was, no, there was nothing left in the tank. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we left, it's like I'll do it again. Yeah. Well, that's – I'm, I'm glad we, we brought that up because I was just thinking um, like yesterday before, I'm looking forward to this interview because you said this a bunch of times that now you get it why there needs to be veterans and people who've gone again. What was that about? Well, first of all, just, just kind of the way the days would start where we would just walk up to a house and the, the way my group was handling it was – one person would introduce ourselves and say why we were here and can you tell us your story, things that you'd like us to pray for for you. And then another person would sit, would pray. And I had two houses where like veterans kind of, kind of showed me the ropes mm-hmm. and then it was my turn. Yeah. <laughs> you were so, a newbie for like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really kind of like a, you just got to swim. You got to jump in and swim. Yeah. And, um, and I, yeah, like the first time, sure it was, it was scary, but you got through it. I got through it. And, and, um, so that, that aspect is, is helpful to, to yeah. be like, okay, well, Keith and Julie survived their first times and, and, and then it was Mike and I with them on the first day. And so Mike and I can get through this too. Like mm-hmm. just to kind of have that, like, Hey, it's okay if you stumble. I did too the first time. Yeah. It's okay. 
I, I get the impulse that, man, there should be new people every year and everybody should have a chance to go for the first time and right. as many th- new people as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think some of that was was coming from the place of, um, I mean, it takes financial resources oh, sure. to send people. And I didn't, I didn't understand, well, why would you send the same people over and over again, like spread the experiences out? But it, it's also that situation where you get through your first trip and you, you sort of feel like you're, you're finding your feet. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like at the end of the week, you feel like, okay, I've figured out the rhythm and then it's time to go home. Yeah. And so it's like, if, if I never went back that the experiences that I had and the knowledge that I gained, I mean, sure. It was still, I think benefit me here at home, but so much of what we do there is getting to know people and getting, getting to know the cultures. Yeah. And there's, there's this, this learning curve right? when you get there that... And you need somebody to show you those ropes. I mean, you are now the veteran who's going to show some newbie the ropes. Right. And that's... It, it, this year went so well, I think, partially because um, last year we were all newbies to that situation, that refugee camp. You know, some of us had been to Kenya before, but as we've been saying, this is different. And so we had veterans this year. That was huge. We we have to have veterans on this trip. Um, but yeah, you go from like a, a zero level experience to like you, you don't you don't go from like zero to five. You go from like zero to nine point eight. Right. <laughs> so next year you're starting. If you go next year, I don't know if you're going <laughs> next year, but if you go, you're starting at a nine point eight. That's awesome. Yeah. It's it's a game changer. Yeah, because definitely. It was like the first three days, so more more than half of our time in the refugee camps, where things felt kind of clunky, mm-hmm. and where you're just you're dealing so much with the emotion of like, oh well, can't we find some way for this person to work or to have some livelihood? Or and then after a while, it's like you just stop thinking about it because your brain hurts, yeah, and your heart hurts, and you just you have to let go of that. Yes, you, you actually have to stop trying to solve worldly problems because you finally get it through your head. There's this isn't a problem I can solve world with worldly means. Right. It's just so much our mentality here at home. Oh yeah. How many people did you feed while you were there? How fast did the house get built? Right. I, I've on. I mean, I'll be really uh, candid. Before I went the first time, I remember sitting. We we're standing actually, but in this little courtyard in this church, and I was talking to a group of people. Like, we we need to be able to go. We have a big church, lots of resources, and I'm telling you, we can do a lot of good and solve a lot of problems. We have we can bring engineers, we can bring money, we can build roads, we can build houses. Like you can't tell me that this problem is so big, we can't solve it. It was like 26 year old Luke. <laughs> I got there and I was like, oh. Gotcha. Totally can't solve this problem. <laughs> yeah. And even if we could solve it, should we? Because, like, what does it do to the people there? Who then do they have hope in? Uh, right. Yeah. Great White Hope comes riding in from America. Uh, it's, it's terrible. And, and, you know, the first time that I went from the, from the group back in Michigan, that was our issue is we we're building a house. I've, I've told this story before. So if you're listening and you've heard it, I don't care. Um, <laughs> deal with it. Building this house and these people are standing off to the side looking kind of grumpy. And I was asking you know, somebody with us, so who are they? Are they from the village? And they go, yeah, they're the ones who usually build the house. Oh. I went, oh, 
So like they're, they're missing out on work because we're doing work. Because right? you need to have an experience. Yeah, exactly. I have to orchestrate this Holy Spirit moment. Come right. And do something because it's really about how I feel at the end of the trip. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, so we just unemployed like 10 people. Yep. Cool. That's that's helpful. It's hard because you don't want to take away from people who have felt like they've had meaningful mission trips, but that was the type of mission trip they were on. I know, I know, and I I am trying. I try to be careful with that, but um, it's it's always at least a good thing to experience another culture. But it's also a good thing to recognize that simply um, paying the money to sign up for a group that goes and does a project can be fraught with with real social, cultural, and moral implications, mm-hmm. and we need to be careful. So if you've done that and you've gone, I'm not I'm not judging you or yelling at you. I'm just telling you, knock it off. There, there are such great nuggets in that When Helping Hurts book, but uh, one of them yeah. is um, don't do something for someone that they can do themselves. Yes, yeah. Because it will just, it will rob them of their dignity. Yes, and that's the difference when, when you're setting a, a boundary. That is the delineating factor um, because a crisis is a moment in time when you do step in and you do something because they cannot do something for themselves. Mm-hmm. But when we treat um, the, the chronic problem with the tactics of solving a crisis, that's where we actually do more harm than good. So a, a crisis moment, for instance, would be um, my house burns down and, and the Hendersons are like, oh, my gosh, just come and stay with us. You know, that, that's a crisis. I literally have no place to go. Okay, so we're, we're going to come and, and stay in your house for, for a little bit. You have to wear a shirt the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> you know, before when you were saying, you know, it's, I want something, but I just don't want to do the work to have it. We're talking about joy. The first thing that popped in my head was abs. <laughs> I, I want something I don't have. I know how to do the work, and I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll never have abs. I'm okay I, with that. I won't. I'm fine. I don't. I don't need them. They're not useful. Core strength is good, but insulation is also good. Yeah, so I'm gonna that's keep true. That. Yep. <laughs> so what was I saying? Oh, um, your now, house burns down. Let's now let's say it's it's eight months from now, and but I don't have a place to live. Debbie, Eric, I don't have a place to live. My family's no place to live. Well, you have an insurance check, yeah. and you you actually can solve this problem, but you're choosing not to. So now it's a, a chronic problem that if I if you just say, well, we can't turn Pastor Luke and his family out in the street, you're treating it as a crisis, and it's really chronic. Yeah, the difference between like when are you helping and when does it become enabling? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's. There are far more problems with with poverty in the U.S. that we treat as if it's a crisis, and it's really chronic. I get I get upset when we talk about the crisis of this. This is going to be in your wheelhouse. Um, the the food deserts that we have in in our world, where there's places, and I experienced this. Um, I took a bus to Chicago. Super awesome! It's super awesome. <laughs> From downtown Des Moines. Yeah, it was great. Um, and it's you know, I didn't do it for the experience, but I actually really I've done it a couple of times where where Joni goes and it's like over a Sunday, so I'll stay back and then uh, it was just this last uh, yeah. couple months ago. So she goes, I stay for church, I hop on a bus. So we don't have two cars in Chicago, and I was in the bus depot and I was hungry and I was like I'm gonna go get something to eat and I walked the bus depot has a Java Joe's connected to it. Okay, <clears throat> walked over to the Java Joe's 
and there is ice cream and candy bars. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> and like, I'm looking for it's not something. even really food. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm looking around. There's no, there's not even a restaurant, not even a fast food joint, but I'm yeah. sure the closest thing would be fast food. And I go, that's a problem. Now, here's here's the the thing is I don't like when people say that are, are and that's an f- example of a food desert. There's no real food in this area. But is that a crisis? Because that's what we call it. We call it the, the food crisis that we have. There's no access. Okay, that's a chronic problem. Right. So let's let's deal with it in terms of solving a chronic problem, not solving the crisis. Because how would you solve the crisis? If it's a crisis, then you bring in a bunch of healthy food and you give it to Java Joe's and you say, give this out free. Don't charge for it. And Java Joe goes, yeah, that's not what we do. We sell stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, sell it. And then people will come in and be like, let's see, apple or candy bar? I'll take the candy bar. See, you're not solving a chronic problem with the means of a crisis solution. Right. It just doesn't work. So, but it's much easier for good-hearted people, well-intentioned people to drive a busload of fruits and vegetables downtown and let them rot where nobody wants them than it is to invest months and years teaching people to make choices when it comes to food, solving the problem of cheap food being crap and expensive food being good. Or the, the free food does get distributed and a bunch of local vendors that had food to sell yeah. Don't get to sell their food. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. There you go. We don't really think about the consequences of our actions a lot of times well, just <laughs> in those situations. It's back to the conversation when, when somebody asks you about mission trip. Is this – listen, I'm, I'm not signing up for the long term. Just tell me was it good. That's all I want to know. I don't want, I don't want your three-hour conversation. Was it good? Good. OK. I'm done. So there's a problem in Des Moines. OK. So what do you need? Money? Food? Right. What? No, we have to a systemic problem. We have to address. Ah, ugh. tell me when you need to check. <laughs> but so I feel like the systemic problems they do really, um, they they can start to to be improved. I don't want to say solved, but improved through relationships. Yeah. But how do we just being in Kakama for five days, once a year? How does that, how does the relationship, like how does our being there really, I do think that, I do think that it helped that we were there. Yeah. But it's hard to articulate to people. Uh Well, so you didn't, you didn't feed anybody and you didn't build anything. No, but just our being there and engaging in relationship with them helped. And maybe it's okay that I don't know the exact answer because because God wanted us to be there. Right. There, he, there, there will be some, I mean, I guess the example of um, Okacha's church, yep. which so I didn't, wasn't there the first time you saw his church, but then we went back on Monday, the first day that we were there, and it was this thing with a roof and no walls. And then now in a year, two churches have, have been built. Right. Right. That's, so you, you can really, when, when you're having that conversation with somebody who hasn't been there, you can only get, a certain amount of the way there. So maybe you can get 50% towards understanding, but like that, that, that last piece is you have to experience it to say, okay, that is good. Because when we go, we give them hope. They're like, Ooh, but they're hungry. <laughs> right. Like, you know, but if you were hungry and, and had no hope, 
having hope is really important. It's it's more than half of your problem. So it's it's hard to experience that last 50%. But that first 50%, I say, is you know when we're there and we spark relationships, we facilitate relationships and give that hope, we see it multiply. And we're already seeing that again. There's there's already – I think there's another church starting. I think there's a, oh, wow. a Pari 2 that's starting. Um, so it's it's that – uh, catalyst that that spark that sets the fire um, and gets that energy. So it's it's less about uh, it, it is again maybe it's sixty forty or we can debate where where how much it is, but part of it is our relationship with the people there because we still have that relationship even though we're not face to face. We still have it, but then a big piece is because we have that relationship and have established it. That relationship has multiplied hundreds of times, and so. You know, we went and started with us and them, let's say, 100 relationships that are now 1,000 relationships. Mm-hmm. So that is far more tangible in an intangible way yeah. <laughs> than it is to say we fed 100 people who are now hungry. Yeah. Because we can feed them for a day and then we leave. We're, we're treating a chronic problem with crisis tactics, and now we leave, and then they're hungry now. Mm-hmm. But we left those things that are permanent. And it's weird to, to think of food and, and health as more permanent than relationships, but it's not. Relationships last even when you're hungry. And we know that in Christ, relationships last even beyond the grave. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 impossible to get that across to somebody who you know doesn't believe in the resurrection. Right. <laughs> it's, it's it's really hard to get it across to somebody who even has a sense that relationships are important if they don't have the understanding of what a deep relationship is. And that's my fear in our country is we're relationship bankrupt. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what it is to be rich in relationships. Got lots of friends on Facebook, but mm-hmm. yeah, you end up feeling alone. Yes. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Happens all the time. Yeah. We're connected but disconnected. Yeah. That's that's where I say maybe they're doing some of that stuff better and maybe some of those – it's in some ways better to be in that circumstance. But like you said earlier, I, I don't want to have to go through it to experience it. No. But – And of course you come home and you're so thankful for your creature comforts. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to pretend like I'm this yeah. tough guy who's like, oh, I could live that way all the time. Like mm. cold beer and not Luke cold beer. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but it's not Tuskers, no matter what cold beer it is. Yeah. Yeah. It really makes the first world problems hashtag actually, it makes it kind of funny. It is funny. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, like, completes the circle from offensive to all the way back to... It's really pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you know, people are hashtag first world problems because, you know, my third Lexus broke down. But, like, I'm like, hashtag first world problems, you have a phone. Right. <laughs> hashtag, you know what a hashtag is. <laughs> Jeez, hashtag first world problems. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. oh, well. So do you think you'll go back? Yeah, and I, so here's <laughs> probably um, my goal has always been to work myself out of that position, uh-huh. um, but not because I don't want to. I I want to live there. I mean, that's that's been this weird thing of contention in 
it, it's not really contention. A nervous feeling my wife has always had is we're going to end up living there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm more and more convinced. I won't be surprised if, if someday I, I receive a calling to, to be a missionary in, in a different country. But I feel so strongly and secure in my calling right now that what I do and what God's calling me to do is raise up leaders, equip them, and send them. Mm-hmm. And we got to the point this year where I was so – and it, a lot of it's the, the back-end stuff that nobody sees, just hands off. You know, I, I didn't have to go and, and rush over here and, and manage, you know, um, one of our new people is, is having a bit of a crisis. Oh, Julie's got it. Okay, cool. Oh, there's an issue. Oh, Keith's got that. Okay. Oh, there's a problem. Oh, oh Joanne's got that. Yeah. So I kind of get to step back a level and then facilitate these these cool conversations around the umbrella yeah. table. You know, that was just – I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. Like the morning when I thought I had traveler's diarrhea, <laughs> but it was just from all the Ethiopian spices I had eaten the <laughs> night before. But I was able to ask Julie, yeah. should I take my antibiotic? Yeah. Like she was able to help me with that problem. <laughs> <laughs> that is – People who think that's TMI, that is not scratching the surface of oh, TMI. Oh, it's on these so trips. relevant oh, when yeah. you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Goat in, goat out. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like it is critical. Those are issues you deal with when you're traveling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a it's a weird weirdly it's a group issue that, you know, I would never air anybody else's issues, but like, yeah, absolutely. There's been times where I'm like, yeah, we need to sit down and talk about that and <laughs> work through this because it's a whole team issue. Either what you're experiencing is normal and healthy or (laughs) we need to do something about it. (laughs) We need a helicopter right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. So I I keep thinking um, maybe it gets to that point, but now what that that I don't have to go because I don't don't have to go. My job is to equip and send people, but it's become – now when I'm there, I'm, I'm this whole other equipping. Now I'm equipping people who are equipping people. Right. The leaders that are there. Yeah. Well, the way, way I describe it is even, you know, this was your first trip. You were a leader from the moment you stepped off the plane. That's the role you're in. You walk around, you're leading people to Christ. But what's happened was um, I was the leader of all of those new people who are leaders. What just happened was we had veterans step up. And lead the leaders. So I had leaders of leaders. Mm-hmm. So I was the leader of leader of leaders. And like it's – I thought that I would have less to do and, and almost be a redundancy that could be eliminated. And I found a ton of value in that this year and went, oh, being a leader of leader of leaders is also really valuable. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's a point at which that pyramid breaks down and I don't have to go anymore. But it's not yet. But you must feel like you're also – really helping to lead like the pastors of the Lutheran churches there in the camps. And that was huge. Like I, yeah, I did that more seemed of like that. it was a big aspect. Yeah. I did more of that this year than ever because, you know, previously in a situation like that, yes, we have to go talk to these, but I also have to you know manage this person, this person, and this person. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to do any of that. I tried leading one of, <laughs> one of the leaders there. I was mm-hmm. trying to teach him how to say the TH sound. <laughs> Because he, he wrote on his yeah, – he typed up on his phone Keith's name and he said, how do you say this name? And I said, Keith. And he kept saying, oh, Keith, Keith. <laughs> I said, no, you have to put your tongue under your front teeth and then blow air through it. And he 
he would not do it. And I, I kept thinking, it's not, it's not hard. Just, just put your tongue under your front teeth, and the sound will be right there. Do it. Yeah, he wouldn't do it. Yeah. Well, it's it's um, almost muscle memory. Like I can't roll my R's. But it's not. If you go to a country where rolling your R is a thing that's part of the language, you don't find you find very few people who have like a physical issue where they can't roll their. My tongue won't do it. Yeah, and it, that's a thing that it's a muscle memory. They, their tongue has never done that, and now you're asking their tongue to do something. And yeah, like, eh. I think their tongues also hadn't said Debbie because they would they would laugh when they would say my name. They kind of <laughs> snicker. <laughs> That was fun. <laughs> yeah. That was a real highlight of the trip was when you would have authentic laughter yeah. with the refugees. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Like when I um when I said my name is Debbie and I have one husband <laughs> and three children. Yeah. And I it did not occur to me why that might have been funny to them. Oh. Uh. But they it was so it was on that was on Friday. It was our last day. Yeah. It was so fun to to like be the butt of that joke yeah. and just really laugh. Like they were laughing. They thought it was funny. Yeah. So for people listening, who don't know it's it, not uncommon in their culture. Um, it's in, in many cultures, but most cultures are moving away from a husband having more than one wife. So you'd been hearing all these guys say over and over again, my name is Luke. I'm the husband of one wife. My name is Keith. I'm the husband of one wife. <laughs> it, it kind of is this, it delineates you and, and everybody goes, Oh, okay. So you're of a people in that direction, one wife is not more than one wife. So it was, it was totally I was just natural. following suit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one husband. But in that culture, no wife has more than one husband. So it was like – it would be like me saying uh, – like if you said my, my name is Debbie and I have given birth to three children and I said my name is Luke and I have not given birth to any children. They'd be like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, But what I found was so endearing about that was – because I caught it right away and I, and I was like – please, please don't translate it. And the translator didn't, but that one woman knew English. Right. She was giggling. Yes. And then, then he had to translate it. And then all the then women the others. <laughs> yeah, it was so great. But do you remember then they introduced themselves as so-and-so, the wife of one husband? I didn't notice that. Oh, I, I can't believe you missed that. It was so oh. genuinely caring and endearing. Oh, that is really sweet. I was yeah. like, gone. <laughs> that is cool. Oh, I'm bummed that I missed that. I was dying every time they introduced themselves as the wife of one husband. I was like, oh, this is great. And the translator was sure to Yo, translate it back that way. dying as he's translating it. And it's that one guy. Um, I always forget his name, but uh, I got to know him last year a little bit. And he was there again this year. That one really, really tall guy with the hands that look like tennis rackets. I mean, he's just... He's a young guy. Is he, he the one? I'm thinking of a different guy who I said um, had the best T-shirt that we had seen, and it was the world's okayest sister. It's not that really tall guy, is different it? Different tall guy. Okay. Yeah, no, but that <laughs> the world's okayest sister was also great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, um, like no but yeah, I, I think I do remember <laughs> yeah. Remember this person. Yeah. Um, he's super kind. So he was the one. He was singing super loud. Um, at that last uh, church service. Okay. Not a lot of young men there because most of the young men are somewhere fighting a war. Yeah. Um, but he's like... I remember like I remember where he was sitting in the church that day. Yeah. Yeah. He's like 15. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no, right? I would have thought like close to 30 maybe. Yeah. He just seemed 
very mature and and tall and like just he's just all dude. Yeah. Wow. And he's just the sweet. He's just, that's why he was in the youth choir. Oh. He was singing I the youth he choir. He was just helping. I thought he was like a no. a helper. Nope. <laughs> He's just three feet taller than everybody else. Wow. <laughs> that is something. <laughs> Some of their, the people that we would call translators, evangelists, mm-hmm. were impressive Ugh, in yeah. their in their knowledge, in their questions, in their faith. The, um, the one guy, he was with us quite a bit. He asked you some question at lunch on the last day, and I can't remember. Yeah. He, he was amazing at the drums. He yep. was amazing as a translator. He would be translating stuff that we were, some lesson that we were giving or something we were talking about. And he's just throwing in hallelujahs. And yeah. it's like, I didn't, I didn't say hallelujah in what I just said, but he's just so, he's just so like so much energy and enthusiasm yeah. and like. What did he call that like question? It was a great question. It was super yeah. well crafted and it, it turned into like a 20 minute Bible study. And he goes, and, and it was one of those questions where I was like, how does he not know the answer to this? But it was, it was crafted in a way that I had to, I had to talk about a bunch of theology and, and the Bible. And at the end, he, he nodded because he's an evangelist. He's got some training. He nodded and he goes, I think he said something like, I call that my hook, my fishing hook. Right. And I, I like to toss it out in the water and see if I can catch. Yes. And I was like, oh, so it was just that tossing out a question to see, to get some good teaching. Yeah. He was so inspiring. I love, like, I loved when he was there translating for us. Rock star. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, they, and th- so that's another interesting thing is um, refugee camp does not equal um, uneducated. Um, do- it, it doesn't equal anything that is you know socioeconomic. It just means right. refugee. So <clears throat> I think I think some Americans struggle with you know Syrian refugees in in their mind. It is the unwashed masses and. You know these poor people who have no talents and gifts. They've, no, they're just they're mm-hmm. just people. Refugee just means all of the people in this place can't be in that place. Right? They're somewhere else. They're just displaced people. Yeah. But they, many of them, are as educated as we are. Yeah. Maybe more skilled. Yeah. <laughs> than than we are. That was that was interesting. We would have lessons, maybe talking about. Um, Oh, proper food preparation or issues dealing with like clean water. And what kept going through my mind was um, because I was talking about the food preparation and and making sure that you don't cut raw meat and then cut cooked meat and then serve it to your family with the same knife. And and I thought, I think a lot of these women have been caring for their families longer than I have. Mm -hmm. Like we have this this sense that like they don't they don't know how to do some of these things. I think they know better. Like I actually learned from them that I was supposed to tuck my mosquito net in around <laughs> yeah. the mattress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there are some weird um, education gaps because it, the refugee camp has gone intergenerational. That's a, it's a weird thing. So last year we discovered a whole area of women who didn't know where babies come from. Wow. They were having babies and they, they didn't equate – sex with babies because the generation that retained that knowledge wasn't there anymore. And so they, I mean, it, it sounds crazy to us. And and I brought that up with Sarah, uh, Sarah Kanoi, who's the the nurse slash missionary on on our trip. And she goes, Oh, it makes total sense because you know, the, they have sex maybe a hundred, 
hundred times and have one baby? Sure. So would you naturally equate that? I, maybe not. And they're faithful people who believe in, um, if not the specific Christian God, a God or some deity of some sort. And in their head, God gives gifts of babies. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, they just show up. Well, do you think it was sex? No, I've been having sex for years. This is the first baby I got. And those condoms oh. are just balloons. <laughs> yeah, people keep giving us balloons telling us that this has something to do with babies. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. <laughs> right? It, okay. So, like those – there is a little bit of like a lost um, skill set and knowledge in some pockets. You, you, so it's not entirely inconceivable that those who had been doing food prep for a long time have died or, or, that, or just has – that knowledge has gone – and the next generation has a vague idea of mom cutting vegetables and mm-hmm. meat and cooking them. Yeah, I suppose. So, but you you don't know. I mean, you might look at somebody and be like, "Yeah, I've been doing this for fifty years. I know what I'm doing." But you might be across somebody's like, "Yeah, I've, I just have to do what I have." Just to do. winging it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. All right, we just did like almost two hours. Whoa. Right, you can cut some of this. No, this is this is what I love about <laughs> podcasts is that you just get into the conversation and it yeah it just winds around. It's good though. I mean, I feel like I'm still processing so much. Oh yeah, you will be so, for a long time. I mean, yeah. it's just I'm still processing. Yeah, and it's just the way it is. Yep. But that it gets to the point. I think we're processing equals like this long time. Like it's it's gotten to the point for me. I'm still processing the trip by the time I go on the next one. And I go, okay, I'm not processing. I'm just changing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good change. Yeah. So I don't want to revert back. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's a good enough chance Eric will maybe go someday. Yes. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. Most spouses don't. It's just a thing. The most spouses are like, nope, that's, that, that's your thing. I hold the fort back at home. Yeah. The aspects this. of the trip that would be challenging for him would be more like like the travel itself. Yeah. Which that those things weren't such a challenge for me. It was being in the camps that were Yeah. That that was hard. But and ha- having to deal with me doing more push ups than him would probably be an issue. Yeah, I don't I don't think you would win at that contest. <laughs> I don't think I would either, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but you know, when I was applying, I wanted Eric to come also because we had my parents. I had my before I applied, I had my parents lined up to take the kids, uh, so I knew that they were covered and that we wouldn't have to worry about them. And I said, "Please apply, and let's go together. Let's experience we this together." Take both of you. Well, and in hindsight, I'm glad that it wasn't that way. Like it was, it was really valuable to have time completely by myself. Yep. Like just in my room at night. Yep. After the team had dispersed, like that just was really important. Yeah. The the toughest thing for me was with Joni in the camp. Now I'm I'm serving more than one role with one person. Mm-hmm. So um, there's this natural impulse to care for my wife, but I'm also now the leader, and and in a way, like I've never been my wife's pastor, which is good. <laughs> but like I have to do pastor work with my wife, yeah. because it's mission. So that's really – I don't think I did a good job at it. <laughs> I really don't. She's tough though. Joni's yeah, tough. So. <laughs> that's good news is I don't have to. But I mean can you imagine you both have a tough day and now Eric's processing something that's tough and you have this impulse of I should try and care for my husband but I'm dealing with this thing. 
and now he's trying to care for you while he's dealing with this. Yeah. So I, I think it would be great if both of you had gone and both of you had experienced some of this before and then both of you go together. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't think for a first trip it's ever good to have no. two newbies go. And I don't I don't think I don't think he should go with you a second time. Yeah. First. Shoot, but that means I'd have to give up a trip. If he mm-hmm. if he goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I would do that. <laughs> I know. He's yeah. a good guy, too, even if I can do more pull-ups than him. Can I do more pull-ups than him? He's getting pretty good at pull-ups these Dang days. It. Yeah. I don't know what he's at. He out-deadlifts me. I still have you never... You think he can do more push-ups than me, though? For real? What's your max push-ups, do you think? I would say, uh, conditions being right, I could do 38. Okay, so a few weekends ago, for some random reason, Simon pulled out the iPad and he said, Mommy, can you, de- can you do some push-ups because I want to take a video of you? So that's when I did, what did I do? 27. And then he said, Daddy, now I want to take a video of you. And Eric did 50. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> See, and this doesn't work because he's also the nerd treasurer. Like, no treasurer should be able to do 50 push-ups. That's wrong. <laughs> wrong and not okay. That's when he decided to stop. Ah, was it 50? <laughs> uh, I want to say I could do 50, but I don't think I do can. the pump and run that my friend organizes for it's for um, to raise money for suicide prevention. Okay. And it's it's um, it's Labor Day weekend. OK, it's a 5K and then you have to bench. I can't remember what percentage body weight men have to bench. Women only have to do half. It, that's kind of a joke. Yeah. Sorry for women that can't. Well, you only earn seventy percent. So, <laughs> oh, oh, jab, jab, jab. <laughs> but do that. Do the pump and run. No. <laughs> Can I just pump and no run? Some people do. Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of pathetic. Honestly, five k is not bad. I, I just don't like running. Yeah. Pointless. It's dumb. Yeah, what I tell you, pretty awesome podcast, right? Yeah. So, uh, I think you should learn from that podcast that uh, if you're feeling like you're, you got some tugs on your heartstrings to go on a trip like this, you should just do it. That's just the way it is. Do it. It's going around, Keep goofing off. Sign up. Uh, fill out an application. Go. Do it. Don't sit around and wait anymore. It's a good thing to do. So thank you so much to Debbie. Thank you to everybody listening. Appreciate you guys. Uh, I'm not sure if I gave my email before, but it is all the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com. Send me a message uh, if you'd like to, but we'll talk to you guys later. Have a great day. Be good. Okay.